Let's go, let's go. All right, so tonight, I'm going to start by dropping some names on you. The first one is a guy named Landon. Landon lives in Portland, and he is an active member in a church called Bridgetown. The next one is a guy named Sam. He lives in South Carolina, and he serves on Wednesday nights with his youth group. The next one is a lady named Celeste. She used to live in Detroit, where she was a part of this beautiful multicultural church called Mosaic. After that, I'd love to tell you about Sadie and Ian, who are worship pastors and work on the tech team at uh, Central Church in Sioux Falls. And finally, there is Owen, who helps with the local FCA in Flandreau. Now, all of those names to many of you mean absolutely nothing, right? They're not people you know, they're, they're not stories you've heard, but I tell you where they are now, because if you were to look back, they used to be in our seats, They used to be a part of this gathering. It looked different than this, and some of them were as back as 10 to to 12 years ago, but they used to be here. And oftentimes, it's really easy to talk about the sending nature of Oasis. And, And for many of you, you might not even really understand what that means, but every single one of their stories and the hundreds who have come before and after them and the hundreds who will leave us here tonight, all of you are a testament to this beautiful yet hard reality that is the sending nature of Oasis. For some of you, this is your last time in this space. And I know that comes with all of the feels, right? There was many nights where I thought this was my last time in this space, where I thought God was calling me to something new, right? I know a little bit of what that feels like. I've I've been here for seven years and I've seen over and over and over God call people to new locations and new places. And so I recognize tonight there's some bittersweet in that for you. Others of you, you might not be graduating, but maybe you're moving this summer. You've got a new job, and because of that, you won't be with us. Even if you will be back next fall, for many of us, summer brings this transition period where you might go to new contexts, to new places, to new people groups, right? To to all kinds of different experiences over the summer, and that's scary and exciting, and there's all kinds of emotions even in that. But every single one of you, Even if you're staying in Brookings, going to your workplace, tonight is a sending night. That our purpose as a ministry, as we gather here tonight, is to send you with the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the gospel mission. That's one of the reasons we gather every single week, but tonight we do it with even greater attention. And to do that, we're going to look at the Great Commission. We've been in this series called The Greatest. We started week one with the Great Commandments. And so those were love God, love people. We're remembering that, yeah, a little bit. Last week, Andrew showed up. He talked about the Great Collaboration and what it looks like for unity to to abide deeply in our Christian walks. And finally, tonight, when we talk about the Great Commission, we will be looking at how Jesus sends his disciples on mission. But before we get into that, let me ask you a question. Did anyone grow up doing chores? Yes, let me see some hands, yeah. And I'm talking like, I know we probably have some ag people in the room and you're like, I woke up at 4 a.m. to milk the cows. Like, that's not really what I'm talking about. Like, my chore experiences was like dusting, right? Like, take out the trash and and like maybe like organize my bedroom because there was no way I was cleaning it, right? That was my space. But in all of that, I grew up having to do chores and I hated it. Like, with a loathing passion, it didn't matter what my parents asked me to do, I hated it hated it. It was terrible. It was the bane of my existence. I was the typical like elementary into middle schooler where every single time I was asked what to do, it was just moaning and groaning and like weird body wiggles, you know, like it was all the things because I hated doing chores. 60 seconds of effort, right? Go downstairs and wipe the mirror off. And I would complain like it was nobody's business. 
But I also have to tell you that I've lived a little life since then. And I know you're going to think I'm crazy. But I like, like, like chores now. Like, I like love doing chores. Someone get me a dump dat, uh, damp duster if you guys need to look it up. Like, it's made by Scrub Daddy, and I will dust all day with that thing, right? Like, I'm talking when it comes home and I got the vacuum. I went and bought one of those vacuums where you could see what you were collecting. Life-changing, right? Like, amazing. I, I love that. Dishes? Okay, I'm with you there. There are too many dishes in the world. But let's talk about laundry for a second. You guys, laundry is the best chore in the world. Yes, I'm telling you. We have a time and age where we get to put our dirty, soiled clothes into a machine. They wash it for us, and I sit on the couch, and I watch another episode of New Girl feeling productive, right? Like, come on. Let's talk about laundry. I love doing chores. I'm so weird that Fridays are like my Saturday because I work on Sundays, right? And so on Fridays, I'll do anywhere from two to four hours worth of chores every single Fridays because I'm popping in the AirPods and I'm hitting the audiobook as I go all nuts on the house. I love, love, love chores. And even there, you're starting to see this switch in me, right? This thing I used to hate, I now love. This burden that used to just plague me, I now willfully and joyfully accept. This, this thing that my parents always commanded that I do, I now do on my own because I like it. I value it. I see the experience in it. And in all of those things, you can see how I've changed. And unfortunately, that struggle still appears when many of us encounter the mission of God. We're told what to do. We know what's required of us, yet when we step out into the world, there's this heavy burden that we often don't want. It feels a lot like religious duty and very much not like delight. There's no joy in our experience as we go and do the things we're supposed to do. And it's not lost on me that many of you in the room have heard something like this before, right? Whether it's the Great Commission or a passage from Luke or X, Y, Z, it doesn't matter. Many of us have heard about the sending nature of God, that we are supposed to go. Yet even when we know that's a requirement to our Christianity, some of us, we just, we can't get over that hump. We're still stuck in the drudgery, in the complaining, in the moaning, in the lack of motivation. Ultimately, we need to be people who reach people with the gospel. That's really that simple. And I know most of you know that. But tonight, we're going to take this step where we, where we see what we're supposed to do, and I hope it sinks deep into our hearts and we start to actually do it. Right? It no longer becomes a burden, but rather it is our privilege to live in the gospel mission so that we can go and live in workplaces and families in friends, in new communities, in old communities, we can go with the joy that God has called us to go with. And we're going to do that by looking at the Great Commission. But before we even get to the Great Commission, there is a lot of good stuff we got to get through. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew 28, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. But before I even start reading, I want you to understand that Matthew 27 has ended like this. The guards have just sealed the tomb. Because of that, it's been two days that Jesus has been dead. 
So when we see two ladies walk up to the tomb, we have to recognize that all hope is lost. And with that, I read you Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and they became like dead men. Here we see Mary and Mary going to the tomb to visit their their dead friend Jesus. And remember, all hope is lost. I think sometimes we can take hindsight bias and read into the text, but they are approaching this tomb with no expectation. We still do this as a part of, of, of many of our cultures. Right? We go to cemeteries and grave sites and we sit next to, to headstones where people are buried and we, and we, we grieve. Right? It's still a part of, of even some of what we do today, this, this process of grieving. And so Mary and Mary are on their way to the tomb. Not with any hope of resurrection or any kind of expectation. They are simply going to grieve their lost friend. But when they arrive... That's when things get crazy. When they arrive, the the earth actually begins to shake. There is a literal earthquake that happens as they walk up to the tomb. The reason that's happened is an angel has descended from heaven. It says his appearance is like lightning and he was dressed white as snow. Like there's this this powerful figure in front of them, right? I I have a, a picture for you, a couple of them. Oftentimes when we think about angels, our culture has misled us and we think of something like this, right? It's like, cute and cuddly and nice and hallmark and cupid it's like that's the angels too many of us have in our heads but check check out this other picture this is 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 another depiction of an angel generated when we talk about matthew 28 and even this falls woefully short just unbelievably short of what the angel actually probably looked like can you imagine for his a second his appearance looks like lightning He was dressed in this radiant sense of head to toe. He takes a massive boulder and he rolls it back by himself and sits on top of it. The angel that is being described here strikes fear into the people present. It happens all across the Old Testament. When you see angels show up, oftentimes their first words are, do not be afraid. The reason for that is, is these are terrifyingly powerful creatures. So he rolls the stone back and he sits on top of it. The guards actually shake with fear. They they tremble, their faces rush white. They, They look ghostly pale. And the text describes that they looked dead. And there's tons of irony and symbolism in these verses. For example, the stone meant to solidify Jesus's loss becomes the seat of victory for the angel. Do you understand that? This, this stone that was rolled away was supposed to seal the end, but it actually marks the beginning. Something meant to symbolize death now shows life. At the same time, the men assigned to guard the dead, they appear dead as the one who was dead is now alive. Do you see the role reversal there? The irony of this, the symbolism that's happening here. All of this is just building in the text to where we're going next. Verse five, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. 
He is not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. The same angel who terrified the guards appears before the women sitting on the rock. They can, the women, they, out of their peripheral, can see the guards frozen in fear, appearing dead as this angel says to them, do not be afraid. <laughs> Even the irony in that, the, 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 the stark depiction between the ones who are frozen in fear, yet the ones who are supposed to now carry this message. They, they, they respond to the angel, but the beauty of what is happening here is the angel says, do not be afraid, because he carries a message not of fear, but of freedom. The angel has come to declare, he is not here. He is risen. Can I get an amen for that tonight? Let's go. He is not here. He is risen. Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord, he was not in that tomb anymore. The angel, he rolls back the stone and he sits on it in triumph and he declares for the first time the gospel message in full. Jesus Christ lived, died, and now is resurrected. In the angel's pronouncement, these women are the first to hear the gospel message. They are the only two who know Jesus is alive, and they alone carry the message of hope for humanity. It's insane. Yet don't miss this. The women weren't just told about Jesus' resurrection. They were invited to experience it. Let me read you verse 6 again. The angel says, he is not here. He has risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. The angel tells them this message of truth, he's not here. And then invites them into an experience, come, come and see. There is this declaration of what has become, yet also this invitation into an experience. Right, we can see the angel didn't roll back the stone to let Jesus out. No, the angel rolled back the stone to let these two in. The, it, it's, it's fascinating because the stone is rolled away and Jesus doesn't just come strolling out. He's already gone. He's been resurrected. He, he is no longer there. He is not here. The angel rolls back the stone so these two women can walk into the place that Jesus laid. There's a picture up here for you. This is something of what it maybe would have looked like for Jesus' tomb. They don't know exactly where Jesus was buried, but this was something of the sorts, a, a, a hole in a, in, a, in a rock with a large stone to cover it. This is the invitation to the women. As they stand in a seat like ours, looking at something like this, with the angel seated on top of it, he says, come, come and see. He wants them to be able to experience it, to walk into the tomb to see with their eyes in the darkness that there's no body in there. To stand in the midst of an empty cavern, to touch or to sit at the place where Jesus' body used to be. The invitation is there, come and see. Yet I feel like this is what many of us are missing. We tend to jump straight from the declaration of he is not here to the command of verse seven, then go. 
we often fail to stop in the middle and experience life with Jesus. And so we just start going. We sit in rooms like this or listen to podcasts or different places and and we hear about the resurrection, right? We get told about Jesus. We hear about discipleship. Someone, Someone told you joy, life, peace, hope. They told you that is in Jesus, but have you ever experienced it? Is Jesus just a set of intellectual facts that you agree with, or is it a lived experience that you cling to? How real is Jesus to you? Come and see. Come and experience what Jesus has for you. Before the women were ever told to go, they were invited to come and see first. I'll give you a different example, a little bit more lighthearted. So I get trapped way too often in the Instagram Explore page. I'm not a TikTok guy. Call me whatever you want. Who cares? I'm an Instagram two weeks later from TikTok kind of guy, right? And so I, I get lost in some fitness pages and I like the meals, like, the, like when people are cooking all these healthy meals and I'm like, yeah, I'll save that, I'll do that. I don't do it, but I save it like I'm gonna do it. And I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling and I'm sitting on one end of the couch and my wife is on the other end of the couch. Like we couldn't even touch each other if we wanted to, but like she's over there and I'm just blasting her with DMs from Instagram because, because here's why. I kept seeing this thing over and over and over again. Have you guys seen the cottage cheese ice cream trend? Yeah, let's go, right? So I'm sitting there thinking, 25 grams of protein per serving, three ingredients. Like, so I'm sending her strawberry cheesecake, peanut butter chocolate chip, Oreo Reese's. Like, I'm just sending her again, over and over and over again. But my wife, she hates cottage cheese. And so she's looking at me eventually, like we're six deep and she's looking at me and she's like, bro, like you gotta stop sending me these things. But I was like, hey, we got to try it. We got to try it. And she's like, no, I'm not eating cottage cheese ice cream. So last week, she left. (laughs) My wife went to Florida. I was a bachelor for three days. I had no idea what to do with myself. I was like, I can go to bed whenever I want. Like, I I don't have to shower this whole weekend. (laughs) Like, right? Like, I'm a total bachelor. I can do whatever I want. So the first thing I do, I drive to Hy-Vee, right? I'm in Hy-Vee, I'm picking out my honey, I've got my strawberries, I grab some graham crackers, like I grab the cottage cheese, I rush home and I start making like a Snapchat documentary to my friends. And I'm like, all right, I'm blending the cottage cheese now, right? And I, and I made it, strawberry cheesecake. You guys, it smacked, like it was so good. I have tasted and seen that the cottage cheese ice cream is good. Like I'm telling you in this place, And my wife, she came home and instantly she walked in the door. I said, you got to try this. You have to try this. And she was like, no, that is disgusting, right? I was like, no, you have to try it. But here's the difference. I made it, I ate it, I experienced it. And because of that, my message was more compelling. She tried it and she was like, that's fine, right? (laughs) I had a bunch of people over to the house last night and I said, you have got to try this cottage trees ice cream. Right? I didn't send him no DMs. I didn't just tell him about it. I plopped it on the table. I said, here's a fork, right? Dig in. But there was, it's really hard. You know, like, here's a fork? Yeah, it freezes real hard. Anyways, but I, but I had tried it. I had tasted it. I had experienced it. I said, you got to try this. All the while, too often in the church, we're trying to tell people about a Jesus guy we've never experienced. And I'm telling you, your message just isn't that convincing. 
You're trying to lure people into a Christianity that you don't even know anything about. If that's you tonight, don't lose heart though. The stone is still rolled away. Jesus is still alive. The invitation is still open. Come and see what Jesus has for you. It is never too late to experience life with Jesus. I know Oasis is ending, and my heart is is all kinds of confused with that. But God is not done. Wherever you're going, whatever summer you're about to have, whatever next year you're about to have, God is still there. He's still active, and he still wants a relationship with you. Come and see. Come and experience it. Maybe for you, it's finally, finally, finally cracking open your Bible and reading it for yourself. Come and see. Maybe for you tonight, you leave and you get in your car and for the first time, you start to pray to a heavenly father who hears you. Come and see. Maybe for you, you see someone who has been walking with Jesus and you envy the peace and the hope and the joy that they have. And maybe you just need to reach out and say, hey, will you, will you walk with me? Come and see. The invitation is open to you. Come and experience what Jesus has for you. Once you've done that, then, then you can go. Because the more you will come and see, the more you will experience life with Jesus, it only gets easier to go. And that's what the women do. Verse 8 through 10. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, or go to tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Here is this beautiful picture of the women running from the place of death, carrying the message of life. They hurry away from the tomb to go find this group of disciples to tell them that Jesus is risen. And as they do that, we get a depiction, a really honest picture of what their emotional state was like. Right? I love how honest the Bible is that there is this duality between that which is fear and that which is joy. Right? And I love how honest the scripture is in their experience because I think it relates to our experience. I think we can relate what it looks like to have the message of life, to be carrying the, the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, to have this in us to give to others, to have the message of life, yet still feel afraid and joyous. Right? I don't want you to hear that going and telling people about Jesus will always be peace-filled. That's just not true. It's not always going to be easy. Some moments are going to be permeated with fear and anxiety and worry and stress. Like, we're humans trying to be obedient to a heavenly call. The women had the same experience every single time I pretty much have to talk. Every single time I pretty much have to talk to someone about Jesus, I still get nervous. I still do. Yet at the same time, we see them filled with joy. Right? Excitement ecstasy, just just total happiness and bliss as they carry what is the hope for the humanity. Like, it's top of the world type moment coupled with fear 
and, and probably some worry and some grief still and some heaviness. And both of these are combined in a moment where they have to now share with others the gospel. Afraid yet filled with joy. And I want us to focus on that joy for a second because these women, they did exactly that. They carried the message of life. And I want to ask you, Oasis, do we realize what we have as Christians? Do you realize what you have? That we literally carry the message of life for people. If you look at our world We live today in a world where anxiety and depression and loneliness and suicide are just skyrocketing. All the while, Christians have the the life of Jesus to offer to people. The peace of Jesus, the hope of Jesus. Do we realize what we have? We live in a culture where greed and jealousy and just sin corrupt every facet of our experience, like it's a dog-eat-dog world, like cutthroat nature of, of just everything we seem to experience. And all the while, we have the message of life that can offer people a true and eternal purpose. A life that can be found in giving away instead of hoarding for ourselves. Do we realize what we have? As people everywhere look for some sense of, of, of why are we here? Why do I exist? Why, why, am I, why is humanity a thing? These, these why questions that are everywhere in culture and they are looking for something to answer. And as Christians tonight in this room, if you claim the name of Jesus, you can offer people identity and purpose and acceptance and hope and all of the things that come with the message, he is risen. Oasis, do we realize what we have? The message that we carry is the solution to a world struggling daily. Finally, we reach the part of the text many of you have been hoping that we get to. I haven't even touched the Great Commission. (laughs) But it starts in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And this part of the text is often one I just kind of blaze through as I read the Great Commission. But yet this week it it hit for me. Because as we've been reading three different times, a region named Galilee has been mentioned in Matthew 28. And anytime there's repetition in the Bible, often it means it's there for significance. It's pointing us to something. In order for us to see the depths of something there, they repeat it over and over and over again in in order that we would maybe not miss it. And so as I'm reading it again, and I'm like, Galilee, and Galilee, and Galilee, Jesus is going to Galilee, and Mary and Mary are going to Galilee, and the the, the brothers and the disciples, and and everybody's going to Galilee. And I'm like, what the heck is up with Galilee, right? I just, what is the significance in this place? And as I dug into it, I found out that Galilee is the home of both Jesus and his 11 disciples. It's the home place for them. And I don't know, that just hit for me this week. That Jesus is calling his disciples to meet him back at home. And at this place, home, he will tell them the Great Commission. And from that place, he will send them. And it hit for me because, to be honest, I I know what it's like to go home. 
I have an amazing family, great friends, like my home life is great, yet still I, I know what it's like to go home. And I, and I recognize that many of you over this summer will go home at some point. And as you go, you might have that, that mix of emotions that is both joy to see family and friends and to start work, yet fear of all your old temptations and struggle and all of your old pitfalls and strongholds and all of the old like, assumptions people make about you. To have that, that mix of emotions as you try to go home, yet I pray we're encouraged by the text tonight. That when Jesus resurrected and he wanted to meet his disciples, he wanted them to meet at home. And from that place, he spoke a word of life over them that they would carry to the nations. And I just believe Jesus is going to meet us at home. Right? Whatever home looks like for you, he's going to meet you in Galilee. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped and some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Last year, I preached this same passage of text at our last gathering for Oasis. And when I did, I wheeled out this whiteboard. It was before a fancy screen, right? And I put a bunch of lines on there and I was like, what's the imperative? And everybody was like, what's an imperative? And I was like, gotcha, right? And I filled it in. And then I was like, what are the three participles? And everybody was like, what is a participle, right? And I was like, okay, I'll fill it in. And I, and I did all the like academic, seminary, like commentary, deep work last year, okay? If you need that, go ahead, look it up. You, you can find the old message on YouTube. I'm not doing that tonight. Instead, when we read the Great Commission tonight, I just want you to respond with one question. How can you make disciples? Personally, ask yourself, reflect on that for a moment. How can you make disciples? What would that look like? What would it look like for you this summer, this next year, this next season, whatever it is, what would it look like for you to make disciples? Right? Once we've experienced Jesus and we start to go, how can we go and make disciples? What would it look like for you to encourage someone in Jesus? To speak some of that life into their life? What would it look like for you to tell someone about Jesus? What would it look like for you to teach someone about Jesus? What would it look like for you to open his word and to read it with someone? What, what would it look like for you to make disciples? Do that. Just, just do it instead of yet another academic lesson that we can walk away with and feel better about ourselves, why don't we just do it? Go and make disciples. I kept that simple because I want us to now spend the last minutes we have together checking out these two truths. The first one is Jesus has the power to empower you. Jesus has the power to empower you. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What that means is that God the Father has given all authority to Jesus. That every single power on heaven and in earth belong to Jesus. There is nothing not under his rule and his reign. And with that power, he sends us. With the power of all of heaven and all of earth, Jesus sends you. 
He sends me. He sends us together bearing this message of life. Yet we struggle to try to do that with our own sense of strength and wisdom and merit. Have you ever been in that conversation where finally you've taken a step of boldness and you hit you, they hit you with the question and they're like, well, what's your uh, favorite view of atonement? And you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> right? You're like, and in those, those moments, you just really, you feel inadequate and you don't, you don't know what to do. And, but you don't have to go on your own merit. Jesus has the power to empower you. All authority has been given to him as he sends you and that's good news. Just this last week, I was sitting on my couch and I got a call from my best friend or one of my good friends. And as I answered it, I was like half asleep, okay? It was like 9.45, I was like, bruh, right? You guys are all like, 9.45? Yes, come on. Bedtime is like 10 o'clock. So I'm half asleep on the couch, about to catch some Zs. He calls me, I'm speaking gibberish on the phone. Like, he's, he's getting absolute nonsense, right? He's, he, and he's wrestling with some deep things. Is God good? Will he care for me? Is he provider? Does he love my family? Do I love him? Like, like I'm talking, this guy is wrestling with some stuff. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> 30 minutes later, I hang up the phone. I look at Allie across the room and I was like, that was horrible, <laughs> right? Like I gave him the worst of me, right? He got nothing out of me. Every single time he asked a question, he got no good response from me. And I felt like over and over and over and over again, I just let him down only to the next morning to wake up and to receive a text that said, just thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for answering. Thank you for encouraging me. And I was like, bro, I don't know what you heard, but <laughs> that was not me. And even in my worst, Jesus was empowering me to make disciples. And I know that's true of you, that even at your worst, when you feel inadequate and you don't have the answers, and you don't feel like you'll be able to step into that next situation, Jesus has the power to empower you. All authority has been given to him. The second truth is this, and I'll invite the team up. Jesus is always with you. Jesus is always with you. I love how he finishes the great commandment. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's just this this true, beautiful nature that Jesus promises as he sends them, he will be with them always. And, and I think we are so prone to forget this, right? It's another one of those intellectual ideas that makes sense, but when we get in the trenches, it doesn't feel like anybody's there. And so my, my, my challenge to you tonight is to commit this to your memory, to sink it into your heart, to experience it with him. Right, maybe it's you get it on your phone screensaver. Maybe it's you memorize this verse. Maybe it's you write it on your hand. I don't know, but we have to remember this because when we're in the struggle, we are so quick to forget. I think Matthew also knows that because if you were to flip back to chapter one of Matthew's gospel, it is the first chapter in the New Testament. And if you were to read it, you would see this big list of names that we call a genealogy. And then you would read a story about Mary and Joseph encountering an angel. And that angel proclaims to them that they will have a son, and he calls him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. Prior to this moment, Jesus' name had not appeared in the text. You can read the Old Testament, and they, the Jewish people believed for a Messiah, but they didn't know who it was going to be. And so from the very first introduction, the angel has told Mary and Joseph, Jesus will be Emmanuel, 
God with us. First introduction. Now flip back to Matthew 28, the end of Matthew's gospel. These are some of Jesus' last words before he ascends to the Father. What does he remind us of? I will be with you always to the very end of the age, forever and ever and ever, I will be with you. And we're just prone to forget. But Matthew and Jesus together have, have reminded us that from Jesus's first introduction to his last words, the entire story has been about Emmanuel, God with us. And so wherever you're sent into, there is not a space, a place, or a situation where Jesus is not there for you. He's everywhere. He's with you. We're going to finish tonight with a song called The Blessing. And it's a pretty powerful just declaration of sending. This, this idea that as you go, as a ministry, we are playing, praying a blessing over you. And so, so throughout the song, we're going to take moments where we're going to pray. The, a couple different staff members are just going to pray for different groups of people. And if you fall into any of these groups, I, I think a really beautiful thing, would you, if you would be willing, would just be to put your hands out at this when, when we're praying for you. Because this is a posture of reception. That as we speak a blessing over you and as you go into your next season, receive what the Spirit might have for you in these moments. We're first going to pray for college students who are transitioning just into the summer months. And so if that's you, again, just, just receive that. We're then going to pray for college students graduating who might not be back with us. Again, receive that. And finally, we'll pray for young adults who m might be moving to a new context and you won't get to be with us. But in each and every one of those, we're praying for you guys. And so receive this blessing tonight.